0: Breaking Banks Asia is brought to you today by Kamakura Co.
1: There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know we don't know.
0: (laughs) When you think of good defense strategies, you try to be aware of all the possibilities, including the unknown unknowns. If your business needs to be certain of the things you think you know, able to get clear answers to the things you don't know, and can quickly discover the important things you didn't even know you didn't know, then you probably need CRIS, the Kamakura Risk Information Service. CRIS provides real-time intelligence on business conditions across 68 countries, honing from 39,000 probabilities, each with exposures ranging from 30 days to 10 years. CRIS is used to manage exposures identify trends, and see opportunities. And Chris is the leading global service to ensure that you know what you need to know and can anticipate and see around the corner to see some of the things you didn't know you didn't know. If you want to know more, send an email to BBA for Breaking Banks Asia at kamakuraco.com. BBA at KamakuraCo.com and learn more about Chris and how Kamakura can help you. FinTech or financial technology is changing everything about the way we bank to the very concept of money itself. Welcome to Breaking Banks Asia, the podcast dedicated to exploring how this disruption is affecting the Asia Pacific area. Here is your host, Simon Spencer.
1: I'm joined today by Dilan Rajasingham, who is basically in charge of doing some of the most interesting stuff over at CBA. Uh, on his LinkedIn profile, it has transforming business with deep expertise in blockchain, I, internet of things, AI, quantum, and the mesh. And and I used to have a title when I was at Citibank, which was Minister of Shiny Things. And, and I think I've actually just met the CBA Minister of Shiny Things. So Delan, welcome to Breaking Banks. Um, what's it like being the Minister of Shiny Things over at CBA? Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you, Simon. I've I've never actually had that title and I love it. Well you're welcome to it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so at CBA my role is head of emerging technology and what we try and do is look at disruptive technology that'll be commonplace in the next five to twenty years, experiment with it, bring it forward, and try and implement the best of those technologies. And our intent really is to ensure that CBA remains relevant in the digital experience as things change. We want to be proactive. We don't want to be reactive. We want to ensure that we're leading. We don't, we don't want to be taken by surprise. That's kind of what my role is.
1: It's a time of really interesting changes, and, and so you know, you'll know you have people talk about sort of two-year horizons and 3 horizons and five-year horizons, and, and there's a sort of a sense that sometimes the, the future is colliding with the present probably a little quicker than we think in some areas, and perhaps slower in others. What do you see as some of the areas where you think the future is probably coming a bit
2: quicker than some people are expecting? It's really interesting in this age of exponential change, and that might sound like a buzzword, but even more, more so now. And also, historically, in the last five years, it's becoming not a buzzword, but actually what day-to-day life is. So some of the technologies that I think that uh, we would consider today to uh, that would have historically we wouldn't have looked at are things like artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, the use of the Internet of Things, AI. On a more longer-term horizon, it's things like quantum computing. The uh, brain-computer interface and those sorts of things. So when I say five to twenty years, it's when is it commonplace. It doesn't mean that we can't experiment with it today.
1: There's certainly um, there's you know really interesting experiments happening in the AI field. You know, and starting off with things like robo advice and things like that. But also use of you know, machine learning and AI techniques to profile needs, identify propensities, identify risks, um, Yeah, you know, really sort of fine tune the whole banking experience. Yeah, and I would imagine that's an area where there's obviously long-term prizes for, for a bank like CBA, but there's also probably you know, immediate short-term areas where those sorts of technologies can be rapidly commercialized and, and tested and, and experimented with.
2: Yeah, completely. And AI is a really interesting field, particularly deep learning, as we start to look at it more and more. We've adopted deep learning techniques today in the uh, big data capability that we have at the bank to provide our customers relevant and services. But if we think of a more medium and long term, can you imagine AI on top of a quantum computer? What could it do? And what new insights can it provide? We assume data will increase exponentially We assume when the Internet of Things really comes online, data is going to explode exponentially. And that's when something like a quantum computer becomes relevant, when we can run algorithms that have multiple variables and not just a few, but as many as we want in order to find that grain of sand that's relevant to our customers. So AI is a very relevant use case now, but also into the future.
1: It's an interesting uh, set of challenges that go beyond traditional definitions of fintech. When you've got a, a sophisticated model, you know, that's perhaps using machine learning or, or creating an n-dimensional hypercube, you know, how do you audit that sort of complex set of algorithms that are emergent, you know, and it sets really interesting challenges for your auditors and, and your compliance people to understand what's really going on, what's the model actually telling you and how do we make sure the model's fine-tuned and, and, and who audits the models? Do we, do we actually use AIs to do are
2: auditing for us as well. And that's really interesting. We've recently released a paper on uh, the Internet of Things. It's called the Machine-to-Machine Economy. It's a thought leadership paper. And one of the interesting things in there is around as machines become more prevalent, how do we ensure that they are ethical? Kind of the same way that we teach our children to be ethical. And we start and as we rely more and more on technology, that becomes a bigger and bigger question. And this and it also involves questions like privacy. How much are you really willing to share? And shouldn't you own your own data set and provide it to people that can give you value? So these are all very interesting questions as technologies like AI and robotics and the Internet of Things merge together, we need to stare and stare into the path to
1: exploring these ideas and experimenting and prototyping. One of my own experiences with CBA is you had a really good ability to, to explore things, but also to test things and and commercialize things. So sort of shifting gears for a moment, you know, the, there's always seemed to be a, a very good, effective way for CBA to to explore new emerging technologies. And then, you know, back in the day, I, I had interactions with NetBank Labs and 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 the ability to to build new capabilities and deploy them in NetBank Labs. How does CBA sort of see a path for these emerging technologies to actually be, you know, commercialized or, or tested with
2: real customers? So I can give you a number of examples, but perhaps it's best just to take a step back. If we find something that we think is going to be disruptive, the first stage of processes we run internally is to prove out the technology and really understand it. Then we approach different business units in a push-pull sort of way and test it against real use cases. The best of those use cases, if it does provide real value, we commercialise. And we can commercialise that in a multitude of different ways. If it's quantum computing, it's through relationships and partnerships like our investment in Silicon Quantum Computing, Australia's first hardware company, or it's working with startups. If I use quantum computing as an example, like QX Branch, to create a software layer that we can begin to train our developers inside CBA and our partners in how to start programming in quantum. Uh, if it's other things like blockchain, which we've had a lot of experience in, then there's real market opportunity around that. And watch the space in the next few months. You'll see some very interesting announcements. There
1: you go. You heard it. First on breaking banks. In terms of blockchain, what's your thoughts on there? There's an enormous amount of debate going on. Is, you know, is the price of Bitcoin too high? Is it overhyped? Um, I had um, one of the experts in blockchain from RMIT on breaking banks previously, and you know, he spoke about you know, the, one of the most interesting aspects of blockchain is it's decentralized and its economic implications. Um, what are your thoughts on
2: blockchain? So my thoughts on blockchain, it's an interesting technology to begin with. Uh, It's maturing rapidly. And that's thanks both to investment, the number of new companies we're seeing, and also about people taking different perspectives. Uh, We're investors, early stage investors in R3, the uh, FinTech, if you like, blockchain consortium, a bunch of banks getting together to build a financial grade ledger. And the technology is maturing to the point where we're beginning to see people move away from proof of concepts to pilots. It shows real promise as a means to exchange information, as a means to automate processes, which have traditionally been either manual, particularly across multiple parties. I find it really promising. And as I said, watch the space. Yep. From an international
1: currency perspective, you know, Bitcoin is effectively a global currency. You know, what are your thoughts on on that? Um, do you see CBA um, playing in that space, in the Bitcoin space?
2: Well, Bitcoin is interesting. If we look at it from a, an actual usage perspective, I would say there's a, only a very small amount of people that actually utilize that as a digital currency. So I'd have to respectfully disagree. Uh, I think the real opportunity around uh, cryptocurrencies is not the cryptocurrency itself, but it's around smart contracts. And that and smart contracts, the ability to codify business rules and applications becoming a new application layer in this distributed mesh of technologies, that shows real promise. and And I think that's where we should be focused on, not on the currency itself.
1: yeah, and and I've seen some of the uh, the work that CBA has been leading around sort of bill of lading based on on blockchain technologies and 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 looking at the implications of blockchain to change you know, supply chains that are really ripe for disruption. Uh, and the role of of the bank in, in perhaps helping support some of that interesting sort of transformation that that can occur in in complex and broken supply chains. Yes, completely.
2: And late in two thousand and sixteen, after doing a number of internal trials on trade finance, we did our first with a real customer, yes. moving cotton from the USA to China, involving the Internet of Things and blockchain. And that was our first foray into trying to challenge existing models and bringing together. Ourselves an account party, Wells Fargo, and really trying to deliver some value through utilising blockchain. So I agree with you. It's a disruptive technology. It can bring together counterparties which may not necessarily have, uh, who may not necessarily have the most efficient processes. But the interesting thing about the technology is it gives you a real chance to try new things and try new ways of doing things, even if processes have been stable for a long period of time.
1: You've mentioned a number of the partners you've, you're working with and engaging with, and the sense I'm getting is is your vision very much is for CBA to be part of an ecosystem. Is that very much in your thinking, that you do innovation best when
2: you, you, you're part of an ecosystem story? Completely. So in any of the technology fields that we look at in emerging technology, it's always about the ecosystem. So whether it's quantum computing, whether it's uh, whether it's in investing in a new company or doing work with uh, universities like UNSW or startups, it's part of a broader ecosystem relationship play. Because the real thing, Simon, is we want to learn at scale. You can only learn at scale to extending beyond yourselves and starting to engage others. And engaging others means an ecosystem. And if we think about the future of finance, It's going to be about ecosystems and partnerships. People are going to want integrated, simple experiences using current and future technologies. They're going to want things end-to-end, not just purely by siloed products or services. And the only way you can get that is to act as an ecosystem enabler, to act as something that brings together an ecosystem to deliver value.
1: A key part of that, I think, is also is you know if you're going to drive change, you can't do it from within an ivory tower. You can't do it from within a bubble. Um, and and there was an article I think in the Financial Brand this week um, about Jim Morris uh, speaking about you know how the uh, some of the failures of innovation labs. And that's not to sort of you know be oversimplified. There's some great successes in innovation labs. But there's also a real sort of concern around their ability to transition uh, outcomes into really customer-facing solutions that drive important, you know, new capabilities and new, whether it's new revenue or, or new customer experiences. So, yeah, you know, you're thinking very much is you know collaborate, engage, be part of an ecosystem, and be customer-facing um, rather than necessarily work too much inside a bubble.
2: Yes, correct. So. Uh... <laughs> I would say innovation has moved a lot in the last 10 years. It used to very much be about uh, an individual organization and how they handle it. Now it's very much about an ecosystem. You cannot be in a bubble to be relevant. You've got to extend out. You've got to look for collaborative opportunities that can bring better experiences for customers. The only way you can do that is to extend out. A few years ago, I think there was a tendency for the four banks to tend to sort of copy
1: each other a little bit, and I think that's broken uh, or, or, or shifted. The model's changed, and over the last uh, sort of probably three, four years at least, various banks are now looking overseas or even sponsoring their own innovation. It's there's I think there's a, there's a lot more diversity that it's not just you know copy the other bank six months after they innovate. I think they are looking at BBVA, they're looking at Wells Fargo, they're looking at Citibank, they're looking at at even innovation. Outside of banking?
2: Correct. And I think that's a really important point is that because the world is becoming more connected and experiences go across different industries, you have to look beyond. You have to look for partnerships that are beyond banking in order to find the best use cases and the best end to end experiences for your customers. So if we look at the Internet of Things, for example, We're doing experiments as part of the Internet of Things Alliance of Australia, which we're a member, and those involve multiple industries. And the purpose there is to learn about how best to harness this technology for the customer experience from a broader perspective and then bring that back and and find some relevance. As we look into the future, I think industry verticals as they exist today will be more replaced by horizontals and those horizontal processes will transcend industries.
1: That would suggest you sort of have a a utility model in mind, you know, where the bank is is a utility that powers a whole range of different activities. Is that sort of in your thinking?
2: So I wouldn't view the bank as a utility. I would view it as two things. First of all, an enabler in an ecosystem. And secondly, as leading the digital experience. So much more of a, a mesh or a fabric. Correct. When we like to think about different technologies, we talk about a mesh. And what a mesh is, is multiple technologies coming together to give you a new experience, a new experience for your customers, a new experience for yourselves. So an example, if you think of a traditional stack where you've got a user interface, you've got an application, uh, you've got some kind of integration layer, and you've got a database, it's going to be replaced. It'll be a virtual augmented reality type user interface. The Internet of Things is your new application layer. Distributed autonomous organizations are your new application and database layer powered by a quantum computer. So when you bring all these things together and you add the extra dimension of multiple industries and a layer on top of a end-to-end digital experience, then you're talking about something different and something new and something relevant.
1: It broadens the definition of what actually a bank is rather than narrows it. It it means that the bank becomes an enabler in a whole range of different commercial and and actually not commercial uh, settings We had uh, the folks from Alipay on the show last week and, you know, when you look at at products like Alipay, it's much more than a payments platform. You know, you can use it to buy cinema tickets, you can use it to pay for insurance and healthcare and a whole broad range of of services that are powered by Alipay. And, you know, so your vision for for CBA is one where there's a really broad range of emerging capabilities that are potentially powered or supported or enabled or enhanced by the banking capabilities.
2: So. So, yeah, so Simon, I would say that banks are unique in the sense that we have great reach into our customers, we have great understanding of their needs, and we should utilize that to create new experiences. But in the end, we are customer-centric. We will provide value to our customers. We will ensure that they succeed first before ourselves. So with that in context, absolutely.
1: And that sort of takes me again to um, the premise that if you can be the bank that has more successful customers, then you would be the more successful bank. You know? And so you know, behave like a personal trainer rather than as a gym. You know, drive better outcomes for your customers because if you have better customers who are succeeding using your technologies and your services and your capabilities, then A, they're going to love you, but, but B, they're going to want to keep coming back.
2: Well, that's right. So if we look at CBA's vision, it's around financial well-being, securing and enhancing the financial well-being of people, businesses and communities. So when we think about financial well-being, it is exactly as you described. It is something where we reach out and consider what our customers need and our customers want and try and address those concerns through providing digital experiences.
1: There's obviously changes coming through with technology, but there's also changes in terms of, you know, that broad phrase of the future of work and the gig economy and, and the emergent generational changes between, you know, Gen Zs, Gen Xs, Gen Ys and so forth. There are some real differences in the expectations and the experience of my kids' generation when they get their first mortgage will be quite different to mine. You know, just the, you know it won't be sort of two times or three times their income. It'll be probably many more times their income unless they're very, very successful employment-wise the future is quite different from a sort of human perspective as well as from a technology perspective. Um, and to what extent are those sort of those generational shifts and millennial questions and do they come into your thinking much?
2: They do. And one of the interesting things about my role is a majority of it is around experimentation, but it's also around education. So in helping to prepare for us or prepare us for a future that is uncertain by its nature, Involves lots of experimentation, lots of figuring out new ways of doing things, also new models, new ways of engaging customers. And with all those things together, we think that we can prepare ourselves for an uncertain future. But the key is not to constrain yourself, not to think just because things are done this way, it needs to continue to do so. And challenge yourself to think differently. Challenge yourself to engage customers differently.
1: That's been a real challenge historically for large enterprises and particularly for banks you know if you if you take the Kodak story you know Kodak was full of bright people but it failed to, to be prepared to disrupt itself. Mm. So to what extent do you see, Banks uh, and you can speak to CBA if you would like, but just banks in general, being able to be prepared to disrupt themselves, you know to what extent can they get over that so-called innovators dilemma? and and what techniques do you do you suggest banks really invest in so they can
2: overcome that so-called innovator's dilemma? It's about experimentation. It's about challenging yourself and not providing those artificial constraints, right that things have to be done this way. And if you go in with that mindset, You're able to overcome what you've referred to as the innovators dilemma. And our intent is not just for emerging technology or the emerging technology team, but for the entire bank to think like that, to think about new ways of engaging customers, about new products and services we can offer, either directly or indirectly.
1: And that really very much speaks to the, the, the cultural imperatives, You know that you can have the perfect technology, you can have great solutions, but if you don't have the right culture, if you don't have that culture which can explore ideas effectively and then ultimately transition those ideas into experiments that are, that are customer-facing that you can then validate or invalidate, uh, if you don't get the culture right, then sometimes it can feel like you know, a shower with a raincoat on it.
2: We are constantly engaging business units That have relationships with real customers in order to ensure that the emerging technologies we look at and the emerging technologies we experiment with solve real problems and do make a difference. And that also gives us a higher probability of getting new techniques and new ways of doing things out there, but also keeps us real. We don't become this ivory tower, right? We're always there being relevant changing things, challenging. What do you see as the next uh, next 12
1: months? So I think if if people were to look back at 2017, they would say uh, that AI and machine learning went mainstream. Actually, probably in 2016, machine learning went mainstream. And in 2017, AI went mainstream. What do you think will go mainstream in, in, in 2018? Where do you think the main focus will be?
2: I think you'll see two things. The first is I think blockchain will become more and more relevant. There's a lot of experimentation across multiple industries in that space. And secondly, you'll begin to see this meshing we spoke about, the Internet of Things coming with blockchain, with augmented reality to build really disruptive experiences. I think those will become more prevalent in next year and the years to come. And the mesh, I think, is where it's going to be at. It won't be individual technologies. It'll be the mesh, the, the uh, convergence of technologies coming together. And you
1: know, this notion of mesh... You know, it applies to both technology but it also applies to sort of ways of working and, and right. partnerships and sort of be, be, being able to to work um, with with businesses and mesh together capabilities you know it's in many ways a, a, a maturation of the of the mashup concept of maybe a decade ago um, now now it's not a ma- it's not a, a mashup it's it's a it's a mesh-up and, and it yeah. recognizes that it's not just the tech it's the people it's the business models it's the customer right. bases it's it's you know it's a more sophisticated and perhaps more controlled
2: way of collaboration? So Simon, you're absolutely correct. That is a great way of describing it. So we're no longer talking about just the user interface and meshing together data. It is companies, it's organizations, different technologies. It's working together in new partnership models. It's about trying to find new value through a collaborative, more immersive experience.
1: That obviously speaks to the future of work, and then you have to then think about well, what would be the financial services products that you would support a mesh economy? You know, if you have a mesh economy with right. where a small business can have the sort of capabilities of a large enterprise by by meshing together with other small businesses and it can have specialization that a normal enterprise that are normally only a large enterprise could could afford to have. Um, yeah, you know, a mesh economy is a quite a different type of economy than the traditional uh, economic models, and that creates opportunities for whole new types of of uh, of banking products and services.
2: Correct. And the interesting thing about the mesh economy, as you as you've talked about it, is that uh, as it matures, it provides humanity with a totally different mindset and a new way of creation and a new way of finding new value. So uh, we look at automation and we think about the future beyond automation. It is right with us. It is 100 billion neurons, a thousand trillion connections, which has kept us going for the last thousand, if not million generations, and will keep us going into the future. And I'm just really looking forward to what that future would look like. And it's unwritten, but we can certainly shape it.
1: So you're clearly fall into the optimist category, um, and and I'll, I'll disclose uh, I, I am much the same in the uh, optimist camp. Mm. Um, what do you see? Some of the pitfalls that that we perhaps need to to temper our enthusiasm with. Yeah.
2: Um, what is, what are some of the areas where we we need to get right? What we need to get right is through this process, through this meshing economy, through the utilization of uh, more and more. Uh, Automation. We don't. We mustn't lose our humanity. We mustn't use lose the essence which makes us who we are. So we need to look at things like privacy. We need to look at things like uh, ethics within this new context. That's what we mustn't lose. We mustn't just assume. Uh, let's just automate without thinking about these things, without trying to figure out the right models. It's the, you know,
1: just because we can do a thing doesn't mean we should do a thing. And um, you only have to look at companies like Cambridge Analytica and their their use of data and go, well, is that ethical? They're a case in point, but but uh, there are many other organisations that are exploring data and yeah, you know, there's almost a need for some sort of big data manifesto that sets the the benchmarks of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable that maybe even goes beyond the privacy principles and, and some of the, the regulations that are coming out of Europe and elsewhere in the world and says, well, these are the things that you, you, you shouldn't do. And these are, you know, from an ethical perspective, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's certainly an emerging area and I, and I think it's good to see the banks an active part in the conversation. Correct. And in the end, it's about
2: our customers, it's about our employees, it's about our stakeholders. We've got to consider what their requirements are and what's sacrosanct to them in everything that we do.
1: Thank you so much for your, for, your, for your time. A really interesting conversation. It's clear that you and I could just banter away for quite some time. Look, next time I'm up in Sydney, I will definitely hit you up for a coffee. And equally, if you're down in Melbourne, do come by our studios again and we'll have round two of this very, very interesting and exciting conversation. Thank you very much for joining us on Breaking Banks Asia. Thank you for the opportunity. So that's a wrap for this week's Breaking Banks Asia. Follow us on B Banks Asia on Twitter subscribe to our daily newsletter at asia.breakingbanks.com and also follow the links there to download the weekly podcast. Coming up, we have an end-of-year special with some really interesting guests, and then in 2018, we've already got planned follow-on interviews with other thought leaders and changemakers from across banking, fintech, regtech, and associated fields. So thank you for tuning in this week, and I look forward to all hearing from you and hearing any feedback, and uh, all the very best for the week to come.